The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Well, good morning, Two Pillars Church. If we haven't met, my name is Craig Ruskamp. I'm a non-staff elder here at Two Pillars Church. And again, I want to say happy Father's Day to those dads who are in the room. I believe that it's universally accepted that all of us dads today on Father's Days have to go home and grill today, right? And also, uh, wink, wink, we get a nap this afternoon, right? Now, my favorite way to, to take a nap is to actually fall asleep reading a book, an actual physical book, not a Kindle, not a phone, but a book. And, and the, the thing about reading a book as you fall asleep is that typically when you wake up, you don't remember anything you've read, right? So I've read a countless read countless number of books over the years that I have no idea uh, what they were about. And my, the current book I'm going to forget is called to the, Utter, to the Uttermost Ends of the Earth. And this book, it's a historical nonfiction that recounts the epic hunt for the South's most feared ship and the greatest sea battle of the Civil War. And the only reason I know that much about the book is because that's actually the subtitle. Yeah, yeah. Now, the thing about reading a historical nonfiction is that even though I'm not finished, I know how it ends, right? The South is going to lose, the ship's going to sink, the captain's going to go down with the ship, etc., right? All those things. Now, this, this happens with, with all these types of historical nonfiction books we read. Um, we already know how the story ends, right? This would be true if you watch the movie Titanic, right? Or if you rewatch the 1994 college football championship. We already know what happens, right? Now there is a similar tension in Psalm 122. You see, the setting of this psalm is a specific place. It's the city of Jerusalem. But we already know how it ends. Jerusalem is no longer the same city that is written about in this psalm. And yes, the city still exists, but it does not exist in the same way. It has been destroyed and rebuilt so many times that it would be unrecognizable to the psalmist. So there's a tension here, a tension that we are going to enter into this morning. Now this summer we have been preaching through the Psalms of Ascents, that Psalms 120 through 134. And we've kind of used this illustration of a playlist over the last couple of weeks. And that's really fitting this morning because there's a progression here. And Psalm 120 was a psalm of lament, right? A psalm of being far away, not only from the city of Jerusalem, but also in a spiritually embittered place. And then in Psalm 121, it it painted a picture of looking towards and moving towards the steadfastness of the Lord, right? So we started far away from God. We began to look towards him and move towards him. And today, in Psalm 122, we arrive. Now, this is a psalm about place and also a psalm about the purpose 
of that place. Now this morning, I want us to explore the importance of place, and more specifically, that the places God's people gather shape their worship of him. That's our main idea this morning. Let me say it again. The places God's people gather shape their worship of him. And we're going to explore this psalm in three tenses. We're going to look at past place, present place, and future place. Right? So, of course, we have to start in past place. Let's go in order here. It's verses 1 and 2. A song of a sense of David. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Now, the superscript of this psalm reads, a psalm of ascents of David. There are five times in the psalm of ascents that we're going to be given a specific author in the superscript, and four of those times, that author is David. Now, in this psalm, it helps us to place ourselves in the context of the writer. King David experiences good and bad moments in the city of Jerusalem, right? He conquers the city of Jerusalem as the new king of Israel. He dances into the city as he brings the Ark of the Covenant in. In the book of 2 Samuel, Jerusalem is even referred to as the city of David, right? This is his place. But he also experiences death, murder, adultery, being chased out of the city by his own son as he attempts to steal his kingdom. And yet, David doesn't write this psalm with only himself in mind. He writes, let us go to the house of the Lord, and our feet have been standing within your gates. See, going up to Jerusalem is not experienced as an individual, but as a group. The Israelites, as God's people, partake in this pilgrimage as a community. And so the context for gladness of going to Jerusalem isn't just David's story. It's also the Israelites, right? The Israelites who experienced slavery in Egypt, who wandered in the desert for 40 years, but who at this time have been established in the land that God promised and have been established through God's work. And these are people who follow God's command in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 16 and 17, where it says, Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed, Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. See, all of this is the context for going to the house of the Lord. And it stirs up rejoicing in David and in the people of Israel. Now, I'm not sure what your morning was like. If you were glad when it was time to come to church this morning. But... The heart of David and the Israelites is an attitude of gladness and rejoicing. And as we turn to verses 3 through 5, we're going to see the reasons for their rejoicing. 
We read there, Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Now David here is celebrating the beauty and architecture of the city of Jerusalem, right? It's a city that he captured, a city that he helped build, a city that serves as a fortress for his kingdom. But the psalm isn't just about the literal city of Jerusalem. There's a metaphor here also for the people of Israel, right? This is a city so well built that it represents unity. The 12 tribes are coming together, and they are different and unique in their own ways, right? They've been divided. They've fought against each other. But as they come to Jerusalem, they celebrate the unity they have in God. They all have a place. They, they fit together, right? Jerusalem is where all 12 tribes of Israel, in the midst of their uniqueness, are united by the same God and the same promises. We read in verse 4, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. You see, they are the tribes of the Lord. That's the thread that's going to pull them all together. And verse 4 continues with this, as was decreed for Israel. It's not just unity here. There's also an element of obedience here, too. This is part of what it means to be the people of God. You follow his commands. They make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year as a sign of obedience, right? And as a way of teaching and remembering the laws established by God for his people. Men, women, and children are all being shaped by participating in this event. And they are also a witness to those who are not God's people. Now finally, at the end of verse 4, we get to the central purpose of going to the city of Jerusalem. God's people have come together as commanded to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For the Israelites, this is a time to give thanks for all that he has blessed them with because he's blessed them both as individuals and as people. We read in Deuteronomy that they've been commanded to not come empty-handed, right? So they would have come with their offerings to the Lord. This was not a time for them to, to be asking for things or trying to secure what they wanted. Uh, the message translate this, translates this part of the verse as to give thanks to the name of God. This is what it means to be Israel. And I like this translation because it really does highlight the purpose of the people of Israel. The difference between Israel and all other nations is that they give thanks to the name of the Lord. It's an identity. Right? Their purpose is to worship God. And finally, we get to verse 5. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. This is also a place that the people of Israel go to in order to present their cases for judgment. A place, a place that is established as the house of David. The city is the geographic, 
political and spiritual center of his kingdom. It's a place where they go to be reminded of God's judgment and of his laws. It's also a place that foreshadows Christ reigning on the throne of David eternally. So the people of Israel come together. They do it in obedience. They do it to give thanks to the name of the Lord. They come to be reminded of God's judgment. They come to give thanks to the name of the Lord. They are here in the city of Jerusalem to worship God. Now, today we don't travel to Jerusalem three times a year for these festivals, right? Instead, we gather here in this building at 40th and Sheridan every Sunday. And if you've been at Two Pillars long enough, this is the fourth, or depending on how you count it, the fifth building that we've gathered in to worship, right? So let's just take a a short trip down memory, memory lane together. The first building we gathered in was the 815. It was down under the O Street Bridge downtown. Uh, It was a perpetually dark building that had been a bar before we moved in. It had a naked alien painting on the wall. Uh, If you wanted to go to the bathroom, instead of walking towards the back, you had to walk up front to use the bathroom. Uh, Pastor Todd's office in the basement leaked water onto him uh, when the snow would start to melt. Yeah, great. So then we moved to South Street, which again was a perpetually dark old gym we gathered into worship. Uh, some mornings we had to put buckets out to catch rainwater that was leaking in through the ceilings. Uh, Todd's office leaked again, and this time it was so bad that the roof collapsed onto his desk at one point. Oh, it's just a mess. And then At this point, some folks decided to plant two pillars northeast, uh, so they got to experience worshiping in the Joyo Theater, right? Again, a poorly lit old theater, stale popcorn, gum under the seats, restrooms with no door handles. And in that space between, before we came here, we even spent a few months uh, renting the Adventist Church. This is on 40th and A. It's still there today. Um, This is actually the first building that had adequate lighting in it. The downside was it highlighted the gaudy red carpeting that they had in that building. Yeah. And now, and now we're here at 40th in Sheridan, right? We all know the beauty um, of the space we're in now. And look, yes, I'm bringing up some of the more quirky characteristics of these buildings. There's also important memories in these spaces, right? I was baptized at the 815. You've, some of you folks here have been baptized in these various spaces too, right? Um, we've had celebrations, weddings, funerals in these spaces. I met my wife Anne for the first time out in the Geneva house here when it was still owned by Grace Chapel. Uh, my oldest son Marty was baptized right here on stage, right? And that's something I pray that my younger three boys will experience someday too. And honestly, with the number of children we have, I pray that for your kids too, right? We all want that for our children in these spaces. Look, in all of these places, we've learned, we've grown, we've laughed, we've cried, we've healed. And while the places 
have changed, one thing hasn't. Our God, the God we worship, has met us every time we gathered to worship him. He is present today right now. He will always be present with us. If we go back to verses 3 through 5, this psalm does tell us something about our worship today. See, when we come together, we are like the 12 tribes of Israel. We come from different places and different experiences, but in worship we fit together, right? We have unity. So that means two things are true. You have a place here. You fit You belong. It also means that everyone around you has a place here, right? They also fit. They belong here. Our worship of God is central because that's what unites us. Worship is also a command for us, a decree we read in verse 4. We don't come to worship because we feel like it. We come to worship because we are commanded to. Eugene Peterson, in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, says it way better than I can. He says, We live in what one writer has called the age of sensation. We think that if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity in doing it. But the wisdom of God says something different. That we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. When we obey the command to praise God and worship, our deep essential need to be in a relationship with God is nurtured. Now look, It's okay to feel like worshiping too, right? Some of you came into this space this morning ready to rejoice. But when we don't feel like being here, that is when we must be reminded of our call to obedience. God in his wisdom has called us into the act of worshiping because it shapes our feelings towards him and our relationship with him. Now finally, our worship reminds us of God's judgment from verse 5 as we sing and call and respond and hear scripture read, hear preaching and come to the table. Those things shape us. They inform us. They remind us of what God says and what he has done. Now, let's also be clear here that like worship isn't just a Sunday thing, right? It doesn't begin when you come in the doors and end abruptly When you leave, our Sunday worship is meant to propel us to daily worship, right? And we're allowed to do that both on our own and together. So, the question is, are you glad to be here this morning? Have you experienced these buildings as a place with purpose? A purpose to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Because this passage does inform how we should worship. It calls us to unity. It 
calls us to obedience. It calls us to be reminded of who God is and what he has done for us. Now let's return to the tension of this psalm, right? To the reality that Jerusalem is not the same today as it was in King David's time. Since this psalm was written twice, the people of Israel were exiled to Babylon. They left the city in various forms of disrepair. In 70 AD, the temple, along with the rest of the city, was destroyed, and the people of Israel were dispersed among the nations. Right? The city of Jerusalem over the years has been fought over, destroyed, rebuilt, controlled by different nations. And at this time when we sit here, when we think about Jerusalem, we think about a place of conflict rather than peace, right? So what do we do with that unflattering truth? We turn to the last four verses of Psalm 122. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. These last four verses should shape how we pray and live. Let's look at them. Verse 6, we should be praying for the church that it may be secure, that those who love the church would be secure. Verse 7, we should be praying for peace. Peace within these very walls we sit in now and security against the world, a culture that more and more does not want us to have peace or security. Verse 8, we should be working for peace among our brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? That starts here, but that also means in our city and around the world. And in verse 9, we should be seeking the good of the church. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our prayers and actions should be seeking each other's goods. Good, excuse me. And seeking here is an active verb, right? It means we have awareness. We're doing. It's for work, right? It is work, excuse me. David, in this call for prayer for peace in Jerusalem, foreshadows the truth we know today. He is not going to be a king forever, but as promised to him, his throne would be established forever. The Savior would come from his descendants, and that king is Jesus. Jesus did walk in the midst of the city of Jerusalem, but he was not unaware of the future that awaited Jerusalem. We see this in Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44. And when he drew near and saw the city, that is Jerusalem, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you. Jesus 
is aware that Jerusalem, the earthly city of Jerusalem, will be destroyed. That it will be torn to the ground, that not one stone will be left upon another. And that just doesn't just happen to the city, it's also going to happen to the people. So what are we to do with the truth of this destruction? Well, Jesus also shares that answer uh, with the woman at the well in John chapter 4, starting in verse 23. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Friends, this is our answer. True worshipers worship in spirit and truth. That should be us. We no longer worship in the flesh but as those who are in Christ. We have been adopted as heirs, as sons and daughters, right? And Christ purchased that for us on the cross. We hold to this truth as Christians. We cling to it. Now we will continue to live in the tension of the already, not yet. We know that Christ has victory over sin, and we wait for his second coming. He reigns on the throne of David, right? But it's like the book I've been reading. We already know who won. Revelations 21, starting in verse 9, describes the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And it paints a beautiful picture of what the city will look like. I want to skip that part. But starting in verse 22, it says this. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. So as we sit here, we look forward to a city that has no need of sun or moon because the glory of the Lord will be so bright. Can you imagine that? We know that our peace and our goodness comes from Jesus the Messiah. A mere physical place cannot bring peace, right? Jerusalem did not bring peace. This building will not bring peace. True worshipers worship in spirit and truth. They worship together as the people of God. They pray for security in Christ. They pray for peace in Christ. They seek the good of God and of his church. They give thanks to the name of the Lord. They are glad when together they go to the house of the Lord. Let's pray. 
Father, as we sit here, we are gathered. We have gone, come, we are at the house of the Lord this morning. We are here to worship you. So Lord, as, as I stand here, I pray these things are true for us, Lord, that we would have peace, that your church, that you have established, that you have bought for us, Lord, would have peace, that that would be true of two pillars, that that would be true of the city of Lincoln, that that would be true of Christians around the world, Lord. I also pray for security, Lord. We know that we are an age of, of tumult, Lord. I pray that, that you give us security, Lord, that there is security within these walls, within the walls of your church, Lord. So pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that there would be peace within them, Lord, that we would have lives of peace and security, Lord, that your hand would continually be upon us, Lord, granting us that peace, Lord, that 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 would come from you, that we wouldn't uh, try to create our own peace, Lord, but we would rather submit to to the peace that you have given us, Lord. And finally, Lord, I pray that we seek your good. Lord, that as Christians, that as part of this community, that for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, Lord, we would continue to seek your good. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.